Welcome back to a new installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. This is Manny Navarro, your Miami Hurricanes beat writer. We are recording this at noon, Monday, December 7th. It is a happy day for the Hurricanes. They are coming off a 48-0 blowout of Duke, their first shutout of a Power 5 conference school since 2001. That's right. It's been 19 years since Miami has shut out an opponent that plays in a Power 5 conference. So, Big deal for Manny Diaz. I was worried about them. I thought going into this game with the three-week layoff, there would be a huge drop-off. Instead, they came out and they showed me a sign that this really is beginning to look like the U again because they dominated an opponent from start to finish. And who better to bring on and discuss all of this than the wingman himself, Kelvin Harris, three-time national champion. Kelvin, how how much did you enjoy that blowout? How much fun did you have on Saturday watching those guys absolutely dominate a overmatched Duke team? Um, well, that's what I expected. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, but I wasn't surprised. The um, the the whole mindset of the the organ of the, of the program has changed. So um, they understand. They got a taste of the champagne. They, they want to keep drinking Chris Dial. In order to do that, you got to keep winning. Uh, of course, this week will be, I guess, I don't want to say the ultimate test, but it'll be a test to see where they're at because, um, you know, everyone talks about um, North Carolina's offense and how potent they are. So I guess a lot of people – and then, you know, no one really seems to like Blake Baker, so everybody's anxious to see how our defense is going to do against uh, this offense. Yeah. I, I, I'll say this. Uh, Miami's a three-point favorite over the Tar Heels right now, <clears throat> which tells you in Vegas that they think that these teams are even on the playing field because the home team always gets three points when, when you when you gamble. So – Right now, even though Miami is coming off a huge win and they're ranked in the top 10 and they're playing really, really well, all things considered, um, Vegas still thinks that North Carolina has enough talent to beat Miami or at least play with Miami on a neutral field. And if they well, stayed with North Carolina, they would have favored North Carolina because that's just the way that, that that point swings around. Well, no, North Carolina does have a lot of talent. But something's missing. I don't know what it is. Something's missing. Yeah, it's it's called the Eric King playing quarterback and leading your team and showing them how to win games, close games. I mean, <clears throat> look, they've they've played a tough schedule. North Carolina has. I mean, Notre Dame obviously is number two in the country, and they're going to play in the ACC championship game. That was a a decent loss to them. Uh, it's not like they were embarrassed. Uh, the Florida State loss is the one that everybody is baffled by because obviously Florida State season gone off gone off the rails. But Florida State did have talent when they played. <laughs> Uh, North Carolina that week. It's not like they they didn't have some guys that are going to play in the league and they just showed up and played well at home and that was their their big victory. But uh, as a team overall, I mean, we can get into North Carolina or we can start with Duke, but I'll, I'll, I'll go over North Carolina quickly here. Um, 
you know, obviously they're, they're passing offense led by their quarterback. Uh, Sam Howe is one of the best in the country. He's completing close to 70% of his passes, thrown for over 3,000 yards, 26 touchdowns and six picks. He's played really, really well. Uh, his, his running backs, he's got a two-headed uh, backfield, Michael Carter, a senior, Javante Williams, a junior. They've each run for over 900 yards. Javante Williams actually 16 touchdowns just by himself. And then in the passing game, you know, you've got Diami Brown, 51 catches, 932 yards, eight touchdowns. And then Daz Newsome, 46 catches, 601 yards, and five touchdowns. So really two two star receivers that make a lot of plays for them. The, the uh, running backs are involved in the passing game as well. Javante Williams, 23 catches. Michael Carter, 23 catches. So you got four guys to worry about in the quarterback. Um, their tight end, Garrett Walston, has got 14 catches for 211 yards. I don't know that he's necessarily – somebody that you've got to uh, put a lot of energy into. But when I think back to last year uh, and that game being on the field for, for that fourth and 17 that they gave up, you know, and, and and having the opportunity to beat them, I'm sure Miami, much the same way that they took it out on Duke this past week, they're going into this game thinking revenge. Oh, no doubt. And they've got revenge. Everybody pretty much just beat them last year. So um, I expect the same thing to happen. Um, actually, to be honest with you, I think this could be a blowout. Well, I think Miami would love to, to obviously blow them out. I mean, they would love to get to that point where they, they are blowing everybody out. And I think at that point, we, we'd all feel like this thing is uh, really headed in a great direction. I think right now it's going in a great direction, but even more so because like Manny Diaz said the other night, you know, when they were up 21 nothing in the first half, he was worried about, well, how are they going to handle success? How are they going to handle, uh, you know, having a big lead, are they going to keep adding to it? And that's what they did in the second half. They really kept applying pressure and, you know, they absolutely dominated Duke. And I think in the game like this, in a situation like this, it's more about can you follow up a blowout victory over a team, an inferior team, and then come back home and beat a team that has a lot of talent, that's ranked, that people respect, but can you beat them and hold serve and, and, and continue the way that you're supposed to? And I think, you know, we, we keep looking for signs, uh, Kelvin, you know, at least for me, I, I know you believe and, and it's great that you believe you're, you're part of the program and you've always been Mr. Positive with, with, with this program and you always try to look at things through the positive light. But I think for guys like me that are still skeptics and say, oh, let's see if they really get over the hump. I think I'm about 90 percent there with you in believing that, OK, everything is gone. But a game like this is a great test to really show me and everybody else that, hey, Manny Diaz not only can they beat Duke 48 nothing and apply pressure to somebody that, that, that they're much better than, but then they can come back home and maintain that focus and be the kind of team that you can really count on to handle this business. And I think, you know, more than anything, I feel like so many questions are being answered this season about Manny Diaz and the way that he leads and then also the players and how they follow his lead. And, and so far, man, I mean, you got to take your hats off to them because they've done the job that they're supposed to do. Well, part of it is I think COVID has, and it's not just our kids, it's kids all over the country, has made these kids um, take an assessment of that this could be over in one fell swoop. And, you know, I won't be able to play this game that I love ever again. So you got some of the, you know, in a lot of programs, kids are, um, you know, they're taking this serious because – this is a serious situation. I mean, Florida, Florida International season is over. FSU season is over. So you got some kids sitting there saying, I'm possibly saying, I may never play again. 
There's nothing they can do about it. Um, but our kids, I think, are just tired of being disrespected, which they brought on themselves, and um, undervalued. And, you know, you got some real dogs on the team now that have uh, increased the focus. And like I said, I don't have any problems with uh, with them coming out and performing again. I think this should be a blowout. I mean, this is not a great matchup for North Carolina. I mean, I know they got some good receivers. And, you know, everybody's got questions about our DBs. But they can't block us. And to be honest with you, they're, they're – their offense is pretty predictable. We figured it out last year in the third and fourth quarter. They got, I don't want to say they got lucky. Their quarterback made a hell of a play on that fourth and 17. But before that drive, they were pretty much shut down. And so um, add in the fact that most of these guys played against them last year and that now we've got um, the venerable Ed Reed in the fold to help with some other stuff and just guys are a year older. I think all, I think we should blow them out. I mean, no other way to say it. <laughs> well, listen, I, I, I hope it's a blowout too. I like writing stories that uh, I can start and finish by halftime. Like that's the best way to, uh, that's the, <laughs> that was the old school way when, when you covered the Canes, you know, you guys would take care of an opponent so quickly that, you know, people up in the press box were already done with their story in the third or fourth quarter. And, you know, look, everybody love, loves an exciting game and loves a challenging game. And and, and this season has, has been full of those. I mean, the NC State game was a was a great game that, you know, they had to come back and win. Certainly Virginia Tech, you know, all the circumstances of being down to six offensive linemen and having to go on the road and, and beat a Virginia Tech team that, yeah, they're not having a great season, but they've still got some players over there. It's not like they're completely devoid of talent. But this 48-0 win over Duke was was really enjoyable in a lot of ways uh, just, just because they, they, they showed you that, hey, when we're focused and we're motivated, it doesn't matter if we haven't played football for three weeks. We're still a lot better than the teams that we line up against. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that's been lacking the last 15, 16 years, that you, know, you, get, you, you get on the field with somebody like Duke and you kind of mess around a little bit for a couple of quarters and, yeah, you're better than them but you don't play well and, and you leave feeling like, man, they didn't play well against Duke. That wasn't the case on Saturday. They, they left feeling like, yeah, they really are that much better than Duke. They are that much better than a lot of teams in their conference, but they don't always play that way. And it's so important to get young players in the game, Kelvin, you know that. I mean, when you, when you were winning championships at Miami, I mean, you got to play a bunch of garbage time minutes, you know, at the end of games when you were a young player. And those snaps are just so important. And you just go and you look at, at what happened in this Duke victory. I mean, to me, uh, that was the biggest takeaway. You got 25 players in on defense, 28 guys on offense, including all 12, all 12 offensive linemen who made the trip. Uh, One guy, I don't even know who he is. Yeah, Gavin Adams uh, is who you're talking about. <laughs> he got into the game for him. But, I mean, you look – and I'm looking at this right here. This is all from Pro Football Focus because they count snaps and all that, so it's a good service for that. But DJ Scave played 63 snaps. The starters played the bulk of the game. I mean, he he played the, the most snaps. Then you had Corey Gaynor and Zion Nelson with 55. 
Jared Williams, your right tackle with uh, 48. And then Ja'Kai Clark in the middle of the game, uh, I think he got nicked up, according to Manny Diaz. He only played 20 snaps and was replaced by Navon Donaldson, which we were all hoping, you know, we'd get a chance to see Navon at some point this season. That's what the coaches kept on us sometime in December. And he ends up playing 26 snaps. He actually had the highest grade of any offensive lineman in the game, according to Pro Football Focus and the way that they do their grading system. And I hey, look, even without the grading system, you could tell the eye test on that 30, what was it, 34 yard touchdown run by Cam Harris. I mean, yeah. I tweeted out during the game, Navon Donaldson had dinner in the middle of that play. I mean, he completely devoured the linebacker, the defense, whoever the hell was in front of him trying to trying to plug that hole. I mean, he took that guy on a ride to like Orlando. I mean, he just he drove him all the way back. I mean, Cameron Harris wasn't even touched. I mean, the, the size of that hole was humongous and he just ran right through it. And you were like, my God, Navon looks good. And it was and look, he, he, he had a difficult injury. Right. He had surgery, all that kind of stuff, trying to recover from it, trying to come back. And, you know, he's a, always been a heavy set dude, 350 pounds, 340 pounds. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I'm sorry that I messed something up. Yeah, uh, 380 pounds. 380 pounds. There you go. But look, the bottom line is he looked good and he moves good. And it's such an encouraging sign because, you know, he's going to be back next year. And the biggest thing you've really missed on this offensive line, I think, all season has been that mauler, that uh, that guard that is going to shove people out of the way. He's a senior now. He's a fully grown man. He's always been a big dude. But I'm talking about maturity. I'm talking about work ethic and it looked to me like Navon Donaldson this was the guy that Miami hoped they would get uh and look 26 snaps but such an encouraging sign for the future oh yeah um and he could play a lot more this this week um everything is setting up like you know we we should finish the season strong and depending on what year it comes you know, if he comes back or not, um, we are a legitimate national title contender next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, they know it, they taste it, they feel it. Um, but now they just got to, you know, they got to fill in the blanks and mm -hmm. it starts in North Carolina. Um, Sam Howell is a good quarterback. He's elusive. But we've seen Sam, we've seen Sam Howell type quarterbacks all year who are mobile. Those running backs are really good. But I'm gonna keep saying this. They got a very simple system. It may and, and, and the thing that's gonna come back that's gonna be sticking in their mind is some of the stuff they did last year early in the game to uh get off to the league. They're gonna be looking for that this year. Um, they like to they like to run the uh the power O. Mm -hmm. I just you know depending on like that that particular play is something that Bradley Jennings does well fill gaps. Now if you got him stretched out to the sidelines, you got a little bit more um chance. But he's actually been playing better. Corey Flagg is playing really well. Steed actually played pretty good. 
he'll probably be, if I were North Carolina, he would be the guy that I would run at. Because I don't know if Zach McLeod and uh, Brooks will be back. But the biggest thing is the right tackle can't block Jalen Phillips. That's what it boils down to. And the left tackle in passing situations can't block Quincy Roche. And their guard, who's over uh, uh, Nesta, who's playing extremely well, can't block Nesta. So now it's a situation of can our secondary cover long enough to let the dogs eat? And I think they can. I think the game plan for this team, um, they've been waiting for this. And um, I think on the other side, we will be able to run the ball in. And I think one of our receivers, I don't know which one, but one of our receivers is going to have a big game. Because they're going to blitz. They have to blitz. They can't stop the run. So going into this game, if you're a receiver, you know you're going to have a target on your back to make something happen. So we're going to see what you made up. And if they and if Nervon starts, I really expect it to be really difficult for them to uh, get home on the blitzes, even if he doesn't start. Because they've seen this before. I mean, and, you know, North Carolina's confidence, you know, we, we always, our fans always look at it from the UM side, but you got to look at it from the other team side. Yeah, they beat us last year. But let me tell you something. I was reading Mac Brown during that game, and the way he called plays in the second half, he knew we figured them out. We let him off the hook. I think he knows that's not going to happen this year. So I do expect them to throw the kitchen sink at us because that's what usually happens in the first half. So we just need to, what we've been doing all year, weather the storm, and these kids really do believe they can win against anybody. So let the dogs lie where they may. I'm going with us. Well, one thing to say about North Carolina's defense, and then I want to talk about Miami's defense, is, you know, they're middle of the pack in terms of yards per play and, and, and you know, what kind of team they are defensively. I mean, they gave up 31 to Notre Dame, 31 points. They're giving up 5.7 yards uh, per play. By comparison, the Hurricanes are giving up 5.1, which is 27th in the country. So, you know, Manny Diaz, those are the kind of numbers that when he looks at analytics and says what's important, it's yards per play and points, obviously. So just going off of Manny's most important stats, Miami's defense is clearly better than North Carolina's. And one aspect you got to say about Miami's defense is they put out this shutout without several key players. You mentioned Zach McLeod earlier, but they also didn't have Al Blades, who right now he's their third best corner because he's he's not even starting anymore. He lost his starting job to Takori Couch. Uh, and, and, you know, Zach McLeod, I mentioned Jared Harrison Hunt didn't play. John Ford didn't play. Maybe you get a few of those guys back and we'll talk to Manny Diaz here shortly at two o'clock and, and tweet out some answers. But it'll be good to see if they get some of those guys back because they, they do help against quality competition. Now, Miami got 25 guys in on defense in this in this last game against Duke. And uh, really, I mean, you had so many guys grayed out. Well, number one. 
Bubba Bolden, um, you know, he had had a couple rough games in a row. He graded out, I think it was his best grade of the year. Okay. With, with, and again, it's Duke and we know all that, but the most important thing was there were no missed tackles. Bubba didn't have any, you know, there was one missed tackle as a team for Miami in the entire game. One missed tackle. Jalen Phillips was credited with one missed tackle, according to Pro Football Focus. And again, they're not the ultimate authority and everything. We're going to use our eyes. We're going to use the stats, but I'm just throwing it out there because, you know, that's how clean of a performance Miami put together against Duke. And that's missing guys. That's not having everybody there. Um, the highest graded player for that game was Quincy Roche. Of course, he had the, the sack strip fumble, recovered a fumble, 92 uh, grade, which to me, I think is the highest by any hurricane this season. That's elite of elite. So, you know, you have, like you mentioned, Quincy Roche, Jalen Phillips, you got guys playing at an extremely high level for Miami here towards the end of the season. And it was good to see Bubba Bolden sort of turn the corner. He's going to be super important against North Carolina, straightening out that secondary, making sure that guys aren't screwing up and blowing assignments because that's what got Miami beat last year. It was just blown assignments, guys not covering who they were supposed to cover. And then you mentioned some of the freshmen that got in the game, Kelvin. Corey Flagg played 38 snaps. I mean, he, he graded out really, really well. 69.9 is, is a great grade for a true freshman. Uh, you know, he didn't even start and, and he played a ton. Uh, I think he played, uh, according to this, the most snaps of any linebacker. Uh, Wayman Steed played 34. Bradley Jennings played 30. Um, and you got a bunch of freshmen in. Isaiah Dunson played a season high, 28 snaps. Uh, you had uh, the redshirt freshman, Jalar Holly played 26 snaps with Ford and uh, those guys out. Who were some other D tackles? Uh, Jordan Miller played 34 snaps. I mean, you got a it's lot of experience. Missing. And that's what's been missing is these games where you get the opportunity to get these guys on the field, man. Like, this blowout was so important just to get guys in the game. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of these guys have gotten playing time in other games. But, yeah. Um, I'm talking about serious playing time. Like, you know, not just yeah. five snaps or ten snaps at the end. Like, you're actually getting meaningful meaningful work. Yeah, Holly actually played pretty good. I watched him. Um, use his hands all right. He's got to get his hips flipped a little bit better. Um, but the moment wasn't too big for him. Um, yeah. um, but Cam Williams and, um, and you know, those guys have to get better and better because there's a good chance that both of them will be the starters next year. Because I don't see Jalen Phillips coming back now. Um, you know, it's going to sound crazy, but if he plays this game real well, I don't know if they're going to play the Georgia Tech game, but let's just say he do play the Georgia Tech game and he plays the bowl game well. I think he can go higher than uh, Gregory Russo. He's shown that he can defend the run better than Gregory. Yeah, listen, um, he and Zaven Collins from uh, Tulsa are probably the two hottest prospects in the draft. I thought that he would have to come back for another year to similar to what Bol Bolden has to do to appease the draft people of um, his uh, stability, you know, his injury history. But he has played so well mm -hmm. that it's a, it's a weak year for edge rushers. And then he's going to go test real well at the combine. If he, if he does decide to come out, he'll be a legit six, five, he'll be 265, 270. He'll run a four, five, five, maybe something in that area. He'll have a great vertical. And, when I watch him, I see a guy who reminds me of the techniques that we were taught. 
like if you watch him on that reverse, his technique was beautiful. He, he you know, he went down the line. He, he, he kept contempt, he kept leverage and contain. You know, he didn't he didn't overrun the play. A lot of times, what happens is guys will do one or two things on those backside. They'll either run back inside, trying to chase the ball, or they'll run too far upfield. Mm-hmm. He did. He played it just how you're supposed to play. He ran down the line of scrimmage, kept his contain, and as soon as he saw something coming back at him, he was able to react. I mean, I watch him when he uses his hands. He knows how to lock out. I'm not, I'm not even getting into the passing game. <laughs> I'm just talking about how he plays the run. Then they started using him like they used Greg Russo last year, putting him on the three technique, and he just destroyed the guard. I mean – He's got a motor. He's just – when I look at him, I see a more refined version of Gregory Russo. So I would love to see him come back because I think he could be an overall number one pick next year because there's not a there's not a Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields quarterback next year. But I'm a realist. I don't see him coming back. If he does come back, oh, my God. Jesus. Yeah, you know, the one thing about Jalen that's really interesting, I, I got a chance to have a long conversation with him before he signed uh, at Miami when he was in the process of going, you know, coming over. And he, he knew he was coming to Miami, he just hadn't gotten to the school yet. And, you know, he was a kid who gave up on football because of the injuries that he had. He, he basically was ready to get into his music career. And, you know, he comes from a family where, you know, there's sort of a different priority in life. You know, like it's not just, football there's so many other things that are important to him but what he's done in the last month and a half two months where he's gone from being okay hey he looks pretty good to my god now I know why he was the number one player in the country coming out of high school I mean it's it's been amazing and I'm really happy for him really happy for the success that he's having because he he's a kid who did go through a lot physically I mean with the concussions with the, 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 you know, the screws in his wrist and everything from the car accident, you know, when he got hit, when he got hit by a car on his uh, motorized vehicle, there's a little motorized uh, scooter that he was riding back to his apartment in at UCLA. And he's playing at such a high level, but I'm curious. And again, we don't, Kelvin, we don't, I don't get the access. You, you get to talk to the players, you're a former player, you call them up, but you know, I'm curious to see what is going through his mind because going to Miami for the music school was really important to him. He wanted to come to the frost school and, and, you know, learn and, and be, you know, sort of follow in the steps of his uh, grandfather and, and, and people in his family who were so heavily involved in music that I'm curious, like, if, if there's any way, shape or form, he would be convinced to stay one more year and what that would be. You know, I'd love to ask him that the next time we, we get a chance to talk to him, because, you know, he's a kid that, like you said, you know, I think he, if he goes in the draft this year, you know, depending on how he does in the combine and everything, he could move up to a first round pick. Um, but I, th- I think you're right. I think if he came back and, you know, this Miami team had a chance to win a national championship or to contend for one, and he was, you know, put a full season together, 13, 14, 15 games where he's playing at this level. I mean, he would no doubt be the number one overall pick. I agree with you. Well, I think one of the things that may help him come back is this new NBA rule because now hey he can go do music right and get paid right yeah and and so we'll see uh you know I I I really 
I'm really happy for him because he's one of those kids, like I said, that put in a lot of hard work. I mean, you think about how much weight he lost when he stepped away from the game in that year that he was away from the game, how skinny he looked when I first saw him at Miami. He was like 210 pounds. And now you look at him and and he's over, you know, like 265, 270, and he's just absolutely mauling people. And that that first drive, let me tell you, against Duke right after the fumble by Jalen Knighton, uh, Miami was in a precarious spot because, hey, this is the first time you're playing in three weeks. You get the ball, you fumble it right away. They're in your side of the field. And Jalen Phillips like, nah, man, not today. And and literally the first play, he's applying pressure, making hits in the backfield, like just being himself. And, and you know, that counts so much uh, for a defense. When you have a talent like that, that draws so many eyeballs that the other team has to respect, it makes everybody else around him so much better. And in a lot of ways, you know, you look back at Miami and kind of what's been the the deal these last few years. Yeah, they've had some good players on defense that have gone to the NFL and they've had some guys that have gotten drafted. But, man, those first round talents, those, you know, Warren Sapps and, uh, you know, Calais Campbells and, and, you know, just those guys that are that are just absolute, you know, stars that, you know, the other team has to worry about. They haven't had those guys. And now they're starting to get them with the James Williams and the Leonard Taylors and this next recruiting class and maybe Avante Williams from the previous class. I mean, there's some guys that are coming in here with some some big time pedigree. And I wanted to shift the focus, if I could, Kelvin, to uh, recruiting a little bit, just because we do have the early signing period coming up um, December 16th through the 18th, where uh, a little bit more of the guys are going to be signing. And last Friday, uh, I got a chance to talk to, um, you know, the position coach, the guy who's been working uh, with Jake Garcia, the quarterback recruit that Miami now hopes that they get. And, um, you know, I really came away impressed with this guy and and, and the work he's done with some of those uh, quarterback prospects out in California and, and some of the things he said about Jake in terms of his arm strength and his athleticism. Uh, you know, Jake is a guy who uh, is more athletic, I think, than teams, get, than, you know, scouts and people give him credit for. He's got an arm that can throw it 70 yards down the field. He's, he's like his coach, uh, Danny Hernandez, told me, you know, from 50 yards in, he's de- deadly accurate. Um, so, you know, this is a guy that can really help take this Miami recruiting class that right now has 20 prospects uh, committed, all guys that I think are going to be in this class, and and add a quarterback that's so important to get in, in that recruiting class. Yeah, I think with it, with the recruiting class with him, it gives us, uh, I guess, that cherry on top because we got everything else. Um, you know, probably need a, another corner, or a corner or two, and I think they'll get that. Cause they um they got some guys um on top on tap that they feel confident about, but then in twenty one or twenty two gonna have a great quarterback battle between um, Van Dyke and Garcia if it holds up. Hopefully it's in twenty two. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the some of the cornerbacks that they're in play for. One of them is a Michigan commitment kid out of St. Thomas Aquinas, Jaden McBurrows, three star cornerback. When I had uh, Andrew Ivins on my uh, radio show, uh, Onside Radio, uh, Manny Navarro, the Miami Insiders, last Monday, he brought shameless. up Jaden. He brought up, yeah, I know, shameless plug, right? I, I brought in. Uh, he brought. He discussed Jaden McBurrows and said he thought he was the guy that Miami could flip. 
um, because, you know, he's here locally, a St. Thomas kid, of course. Um, some of the other guys that they're after, Markevious Brown, a kid out of IMG Academy that has Miami in his top five. And then a Pensacola uh, kid who's committed to Tennessee, Demarius McGee. He's also got LSU, Ole Miss, and Tennessee in there. The one thing for Miami is difficult is getting those panhandle area kids. Like, it's never easy for them to go up there and get those guys. So I think the best bet is probably Jaden McBurrows at, at cornerback. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But they um, they are um, – they got their hand in the pot on a couple guys. Mm-hmm. And they feel confident. I think, honestly, I think McBurrows is going to probably flip. Yeah. Um, I think, that, you know, they were also in on uh, Patrick Payton, a kid out of uh, Miami Northwestern, a defensive end. I, but I think he just committed to Florida yeah, State. Did he not? I'll be honest with you. I don't know how much they really wanted him. Okay. I mean, I haven't really had a conversation about him mm-hmm. because I didn't think he was in the mix. Because to be honest with you, 22 is a monster for edge retributors. Right. I just think, you know, when these when these teams are putting together their rosters, they're looking multiple years. So mm-hmm. you got to say to yourself, dude, yeah, Pat Payton is a good player, but is he better than Marvin Jones Jr., Jamal Johnson, uh, Kenyatta Jackson, um, what's the Shamar? What's the kid named Shamar Stewart? Shamar Stewart, yeah. Mm-hmm. The 22 is he, than, mm-hmm. is he better than any of those four guys? Right, no. Well, no and, kid, but no, yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing Miami is, is dealing with right now. The recruiting department is trying to make sure that everybody that they bring in is somebody who is Miami caliber. And that's why you've seen these decommitments. That's why you saw Savian Collins kind of get pushed away. Uh, that's why you saw uh, the, the other cornerback recruit, the Tim Burns Jr. kid, just kind of – Miami's recruiting department's like, look, we're a top-10 team. We want to be a top-10 team. We want to beat Clemson. So a lot of these kids that have decommitted of late have been sort of pushed out of the class and told, hey, you know what? We saw your senior tape. Not as good enough as we want it to be. And we want to go in another direction. And so they've got four available scholarships right now. I think one of them – uh, we'll end up uh, with with the quarterback uh, out of California, who we discussed a little while ago, Jake Garcia. Um, and I think, um, they'll, like you said, get a couple cornerbacks and maybe another offensive lineman out of the class. Now, I know that there, you know, people report a lot of stuff, and, and this is the way recruiting is because when a kid mentions Miami in their top three or top four, or top five, everybody's like, "Oh, the Kings, they're going to get them." This and that, and it's like. Well, no, slow down a little bit. You know, you need to understand that, you know, a lot of these kids throw some of these teams in there because, yeah, they're considering them, but not as much as maybe another school. And so that's why, you know, I think so many people get disappointed at times. It's like, well, I thought we we had a chance to get this guy. Well, a perfect example is Terrence Lewis, the linebacker out of, uh, out of Miami Central, who's got Miami, Auburn, and Texas A&M in his top three. Well, I don't think Miami's, you know, I don't think that's going to happen for Miami. Even if his parents want him to go to Miami, I think this kid's probably ending up at, at Auburn. And then the other one is the the five-star defensive tackle, Mason Smith, uh, the Louisiana uh, kid who, you know, he's got LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Miami's in there. But again, they're not a favorite. They're not like, you know, leading the charge. And, and so, 
you know, instead of getting disappointed as a fan when they don't end up with Mason Smith or they don't end up with Terrence Lewis, just know that the fact that Miami's in it for some of these kids is a, is a much bigger deal versus where in years past they weren't even in it for a five-star defensive tackle like Mason Smith. Well, be honest with you, Mason Smith, hey, if it happens, that's, that's great. With Terrence Lewis, this is just me thinking from how I'm seeing how they're going at it. I don't think they really want him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's going to end him with uh, Joe Keith Brown and uh, the other central uh, kids. Yeah, the running back. Yeah, uh, Amari Daniels. Right. But the kid is a pretty good ball player. Really good. Although somebody got out of their lane the other day in one of those Facebook groups I'm in, and they tried to compare him, who was a better high school player, him or Willie Williams. It's like, stop. Just stop right there. <laughs> You're not a hand. Right. I mean, he could no no disrespect to this kid, but that ain't that conversation should never happen. Cause Willie Williams was a bad motherfucker. <laughs> now they both share one thing. They both wore knuckleheads. Right. And you you see where it landed Willie Williams in his career. Terrence Lewis is a completely different ball player. He's a he's got great instincts. Um he can cover. He blitzes real well. He's not that big. And I think whether he goes to UM, AM, wherever, the thing he's going to have to learn how to do is take on blocks. Yep. And and I mean, but he would he would be a nice piece. It would make the recruiting class look better. But the kid up in Orlando, Troutman. Mm-hmm. Is a ball player. That kid in uh, uh, Georgia, David, mm-hmm. is a ball player. <laughs> so we get him. It's nice. If not, we got some dudes coming. Right. No, Miami's excited about this recruiting class. I know that, and I know that the kids that they've that they've got committed, they're excited about, and and even the ones they don't have committed, like Jay Garcia, they they want to bring him in. Now, one thing you and I talked about off air earlier this week was, you know, a guy like. Um, Tyler Van Dyke. We didn't get a chance to see him in this Duke game. He didn't make the trip. He was he was among the 15 guys that were out. But I know from from what you've told me, his teammates have been saying a lot of great things about him, um, including De'Aaron King. Um, you know, in, in some of the conversations you, you've been having behind the scenes, what are you hearing about Tyler Van Dyke? And you know, what what kind of player could he be when you talk about the quarterback position moving forward? I mean, I think he could be. The starting quarterback. I mean, a couple, a couple people, not necessarily players, because I never asked any players about it. But uh, you know, a couple people seem to think Matoka can be pretty good too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we didn't really get a chance to see that much of him because it was the end of the game, and he just basically closed the game out. But lastly, um, he doesn't seem. They don't seem to be too worried about the quarterback position. Now, we would love to have Pierre King come back for another year because. I think he's one of the two or three game changers in the game right now. And if he comes back next year, he's, in my opinion, the best player in college football coming back. So, you know, and I mean, honestly, if we get him and Phillips back, we got the best offensive and best defensive player coming back in the nation. So, you know, it's going to be tough for whoever the quarterback is after King because he brings some incredible intangibles you know 
and you just can't clone those. You know, each quarterback is different. Like, look at look at Clemson. Ugalele is going to be a really good quarterback, but he ain't Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Now he could be as good, but you know, it's just each quarterback has its own has his own makeup and blueprint, and I think you know. We, you know, there. I looked around college football coming back. I think maybe Sam Howell is probably going to be the most um, dynamic quarterback coming back if King doesn't come back. Possibly Felipe Franks, maybe Keaton Slovis at USC. But outside of those names that I just named, there's nobody. There ain't no Trevor Lawrence's, ain't no Justin Fields. So if he comes back, he stands out. But what he does do is he also gives Tyler Van Dyke and possibly Jake Garcia another year of seasoning where they can develop and hone their skills because we're going to have some straight cupcake games. We got Michigan State, we got App State, and we got Central Connecticut State. They should play in all three of those games next year if if King comes back. So um and I think that's what that's how that's how you get your program developed. Everybody leaves when they're supposed to leave, and you don't have to rush people in to play, and you your freshmen get the red shirt or play on special teams and go through the rite of passage. But when you're mm-hmm. playing five or six true freshmen, you ain't a top. 20 team. You're in the top 30 team. Even Alabama don't play five or six freshmen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just gotta, you know, like Clemson. Let's look at Clemson. They play two freshmen. And they're like physical freaks. Murphy is a physical freak. Breezy is a physical freak. Well, actually, they're playing three now because Trenton Simpson is getting some playing time. Um, that's Quentin Williams' his old teammate, by the way. And he's pretty good. So we're talking three freshmen. Three. Wow. And then they had to play Ugalele because, you know, the quarterback was out. But he doesn't play every game. Mm-hmm. So you're talking three freshmen. Alabama plays uh, two, three. Yeah. Wow. Maybe. So, you know, you can't have five, six, seven freshmen getting real playing if you expect to win a national championship or even a conference championship. Right. So we're getting to the point now where we're starting to stack the towel. No doubt. They're getting there and it's encouraging. And, and you know, the one thing now is I, I heard the broadcasters on during Saturday's game bring up Rhett Lashley and Vanderbilt. You know, they, they brought that up on their own. And I don't know Not what conversations good. they had with Rhett, but obviously we know he wants to be a head coach down the road. Uh, Kelvin, you, you, you talk to a lot of these guys in, in the business. What do you where do you think? Uh, a guy like Red is at well, with those coaching rumors and, and potential head coaching jobs. Do you think he's really a candidate at the end of the season for uh, for one of those uh, spots, or how, how do you sort of feel about it? No, I think now they will go. They are going to go after supposedly what the off, uh, athletic director said. They're going to go after a high profile offensive coach, but I think it's going to be. A uh, high-profile offensive coach. I could see Hugh Freeze getting that job. Um, they're looking more at head coaches with that with that pedigree. Next year is the year we lose him, I think. 
because he's not leaving us to go to another offensive coordinator job. He's leaving us to go, and 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 I just can't see him leaving to go take like the SMU job. If I'm him, and we have the success, I think we can have if Garrett comes back. Why would you leave for something that ain't in the SEC or the ACC? Right, because that's where you really want to be at. Right. I agree with you. I think in the end, that's uh, that's where he wants to be. I think he wants to be at a high profile program and he's put in enough years and experience that you would think, you know, he's, he's in a position where they would consider it. But I think this is such a difficult year because of, of, of COVID-19 and teams trying to save a little bit of money with how much money was lost that I don't know that you're going to see maybe as many coach firings and changes just because you know, teams are going to have to bite the bullet a little bit, you know, financially. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, you're right. I think maybe Red is a year away from from getting a head coaching job. But we'll see. His name's going to be bandied about. And I know people are going to have questions. They're going to say, oh, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? Well, that's that's what we're thinking anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think um, the job I see him possibly being big for next year is Syracuse because I don't – I don't think they're going to fire um, uh, their coach this year, but I think next year, if it doesn't turn around, I think he's going to be on the hot seat. And if you're Red Lasty, you're you know the, the the personnel is already set up for your offense. And if you're Syracuse, you uh, you know you you don't have to go too far because he's in conference. Right. Um, also. I could see him bid up for Mississippi State next year because I don't think Mike Leach makes it through next year. Oh, interesting. And he's, he's from Arkansas. So, um, yeah, I could see him being up for Southern Miss, for, for Mississippi State. Uh, those are two off the top of my head in Power Five, the SEC and ACC, because looking at the SEC, and, and, and wait a minute, uh, I don't want to scare the fans, but. He could be Auburn's coach next in 2022 because if we have great success and Auburn doesn't come back and um, have a 10 and two year, I could see Gus getting the boot because the, the the boosters were never really truly happy with him. And with Lashley having the success, they're going to be like, why did you even fire this? Why did you why did you run this guy off in the first place? Look, look, look what he's doing at Miami. Right. I could see him. I could see next year if Auburn isn't doing good, I could see him being up for the coach. Coaching wow. Coach. wow. Well, Calvin, listen, uh, I appreciate you joining me, man. Uh, we covered a lot of areas. I'm looking forward to uh, what happens on Saturday against North Carolina and how Miami finishes this season, uh, how they go in, in recruiting the following week. Uh, I'll be on Twitter uh, tweeting up uh, a storm, I'm sure, during the game on Saturday like I was last Saturday. You will as well. I know you share your thoughts during the game. But thanks for coming back on the Wide Ride Podcast and and helping me get this in the books. Yeah, no problem. And uh, make sure to follow uh, Calvin at Ebony Lifestyles online if you don't already. He's a great follow and uh, listen to his podcast. Uh, Go ahead and plug it, Calvin. Yeah, it's the You Podcast. Uh, Apple soundcloud spotify it's at it's miami dash huddle cast 
Oh, and I, I got a Facebook page for this too, Miami Huddle, where I, I get their in, I put all the interviews up that these guys, you guys can actually go and grade Manny at every press conference, you know, uh, because <laughs> I got all the all the interviews from the conferences. And, you know, right now, uh, Pro Football Focus has graded Manny and he gets like a 33% since yes. rating. My questions I are mean, not good enough. <laughs> I mean, Susan Miller Degan is kicking his ass. She is. She is. She kicks my ass every week. What can I tell you? Yeah. But yeah, um, go check it out. But all right, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man, for coming on. All right. Take care. All right, yeah. 305 954 568. This is the state of Miami. Y'all know y'all come down that way.